Make It Right, the manufacturing podcast. According to John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center, COVID-19 has reached 34 million cases and 1 million deaths for a death rate of 3% worldwide as of October 1st, 2020. However, these numbers are all lower than actual because of the inability to test and report in some countries. As countries open up and necessary employees return to work, business leaders have a new significant health and safety challenge to address. Welcome to the Make It Right podcast. I'm Janet Eastman. And this week on the show, we're looking at the role of leadership in the workplace in light of COVID-19. And I'm really pleased to be joined by health and safety consultant, Andrew Morris, who was our guest way back in June of 2019 on episodes 56 and 57. So welcome to the show again, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed, Janet. Also joining us is leadership advisor, Kevin Snook. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Janet. And hi, Andrew. Hi. Hi, Kevin. So both of you are based in Bangkok, Thailand, and uh, you've been feeling the impact of COVID-19 for a lot longer than we have in North America. So how are things there now? And I'll, I'll, I'll go with you first, Andrew. How are you seeing things in Thailand right now? Um, from the standpoint of, of Thailand, uh, we have no tourists and we are just beginning to look at perhaps letting in um, long stay people. Mm -hmm. uh, we have very, very low um, incidence rate of coronavirus uh, infections um, and uh, everything um, is pretty much um, stable at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, Kevin, you saying that, um, you know, Thailand had really locked things down and had been very, very, very careful. And uh, I guess we're seeing the result of that, aren't we? Well, there was a, there's, a, there's a great level of applying, applying the right PPE in the right circumstances. And so uh, Thai people very much kind of follow um, what they're supposed to do or what they're guided to do. And so everybody's wearing masks in public and they have been right from the very beginning. Um, there are separations in restaurants, the, the, the restaurants that are open again now. And so there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of precautions put in place and people generally here are very receptive to following the guidelines from the government. Mm -hmm. So the impact of COVID-19 economically, physically, and socially, it's been well documented worldwide. And I'm thinking just on a global level now, uh, Andrew, you've done a lot of research on this. What has the mental impact been? How are people's stress and anxiety and sadness and depression levels? It looks like second or third wave uh, is coming through of coronavirus. Um, this gives rise to people's uh, uh, mental health state being um, raised to a level that uh, they feel um, very, very um, un unhappy about the future. Um, and they uh, have the concerns of their parents, their children, and looking after them. And obviously, um, in many cases, the loss of uh, a second income because uh, uh, one of the uh, parents has to stay at home to look after the children and the children are going to school online. Um, and additionally, uh, there's the potential of other children who are at university uh, coming home to do their studies from, from home. So overall, uh, 
it's a very high pressure situation for many, many families. Mm -hmm. And how are companies actually coping with this side of the pandemic? Because for those on site, um, they've got people coming into an environment where they're actually um, not in their standard bubble. They're actually mixing with other people. And then, of course, there are those working remotely. Can you give me an idea of what both sides of that looks like? What about the people that are actually coming back to factories and working? How are they feeling? The plain fact of the matter is that people uh, will only come back to work if it is safe to come back to work. So many companies recognize the issues on site. Um, they have sympathetic uh, supervisors, managers, and employees who are working to cope with the situation. They understand the pandemic guidelines um, and, and they by and large are following them. But that doesn't mean that you don't have stress and, and anxiety any less uh, with your employees. So um, the, the stress level uh, continues to be out there because of the concern uh, whether you are having a successful business, whether you could lose your business. Uh, so people are very preoccupied with that. Um, so the people who are in the plants um, where there is uh, good guidance are feeling uh, better than those where there is not a pandemic plan in place that uh, how, um, how to deal with uh, an employee who is sick is there a procedure? And in many cases in these companies that don't have pandemic procedures, there's no plan and the company is not coping well. So that, that's the situation in the plants. At home, uh, the challenge very much uh, depends upon how many people are in the home, how many people are trying to do a job and how many people are online for education. So um, whether there is space uh, to do this or whether you have to schedule by shifts, whether you're going to work or whether the children are studying um, is one of the problems. And obviously uh, the stress of staying silent uh, in the home because somebody's online um, or not going in certain rooms is obviously uh, a major problem. So people at home are you know very concerned about what people are saying uh, on online uh, the family may be listening to uh, what is being said and can be equally stressed by what their parent is saying about work and the chances of retaining their job they may be um, very concerned about what is what is happening Kevin, what are you seeing out there? What, I mean, you deal with leaders all the time. How are they dealing with this? Well, there's a, there's a wide range, Janet. And I think there's, you know, Andrew uh, alluded to this perfectly. There's such different living conditions for different people around the world that, you know, where you may have two uh, working professionals in a house in North America, uh, maybe now with a, a couple of kids in there as well, versus, you know, a house in Asia that's got eight or nine people in there. Um, you know, there's different stresses, certainly de dependent on the number of people and, and what each person in that household is trying to do. 
in the factories, um, I've also seen a wide range of ways that people are dealing with it. And what I, what I see is that the issue is magnifying the current capabilities of that organization. So if there's an organization that's very good at taking care of the mental well-being of people, um, then they have magnified that and they've got even better. The ones that really hadn't thought about it before or didn't have a plan in place, I think are really struggling. And um, you know, Andrew said this also, that people like certainty and they want to know, uh, they want to know that the company is guiding them in the right way. And the companies that are doing best are the ones that are playing a pretty hard line on this and saying, look, we don't know whether this is exactly right, but this is what we're going to do. Um, so follow these guidelines. The ones that are leaving it more open for people to choose, I think, are the ones that are, are struggling more. Mm -hmm. So what is a company's obligation to those suffering mentally, Andrew? The obligation um, in, in most cases is uh, very similar to a person who is sick in most developed countries. Uh, people do recognize um, that there are mental health issues, uh, but elsewhere it is problematic because stress, depression, anxiety are not recognized as work-related illnesses. Um, and sometimes they are seen as weaknesses that you are not strong enough to uh, control or deal with these issues. So obviously from a mental health standpoint, uh, you have all shades of uh, control, uh, treatment, and uh, whether people can help one another um, deal with the whole mental health aspect. Mm -hmm. So you, you um, mentioned to me earlier something about uh, PFA, psychological first aid. Can you explain what that is and how it works? There are many different types of PFA. One that uh, we're familiar with is the World Health Organization's um, approach. Um, and basically uh, that is best described as helping people bring down their stress and anxiety levels to an acceptable level uh, for the individual, helping in some cases um, bringing down blood pressure, stopping raised voice levels, uh, and uh, obviously uh, people who are irritable um, have irrational outbursts and conflicts um, and making behavior uh, of the employee in the eyes of other employees seem unstable. So obviously uh, to go through the psychological first aid is a very worthwhile exercise because in this time of pandemic, uh, people are hurting, but uh, people are stressed out. They are shouting at one another. Small things that would normally be uh, waved by um, or not, and uh, this uh, psychological first aid, uh, Janet, uh, can, can help people uh, ground themselves and uh, be uh, much more, uh, how shall I say, capable of dealing with, with the daily, daily tasks. But the most important thing is to listen to what people are telling you, empathize with them, uh, perhaps help them, give them guidance, but above all, listen to them and see if you can help them in some way. 
this um, WHO PFA um, psychological first aid can be found on uh, the World Health Organization site. Um, it's on... Um, I can actually um, post that so that people can get to the link directly. Good, good, good. So, so uh, in closing, uh, PFA gives you eight worthwhile steps to take with people. Uh, you can have all kinds of very variations on it, but one of the most important things is the communication and helping people uh, talk about their problems and how uh, they can go forward in a better frame of mind. I think it's really interesting that um, for all of its faults, COVID has sort of, it seems to be bringing back some humanity to us all. Like we're more concerned about our coworkers and our neighbors and we're checking in with them and we're, we're reaching out to them. And I think that, you know, if anything, that will be one of the positives um, of this whole thing, as long as we can maintain that humanity as we go forward. Kevin, I'm really interested to see if you've noticed an impact of additional stress on leaders because of COVID-19 and how they're coping. Yeah, I have, absolutely. And, you know, leaders are humans as well. Uh, sometimes we forget about that. You know, we think about the workforce uh, or the employees and we forget about some of the leaders. But um, clearly the leaders are under a huge amount of stress. If you look at company owners, um, now they're worried about the health of their business and the hundreds of employees that work with them. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to it. And, uh, you know, I hadn't heard of PFA or the psychological first aid before, but I thought that was really interesting. I, I did read a great article that um, kind of drew a comparison between what happened in the 80s with, uh, with the AIDS epidemic that happened and how that brought um, the whole idea of public health became a lot more, uh, a lot more talked about and a lot more open. And with this COVID, I'm hoping that the whole idea of mental health in the workplace, you know, gets significantly raised as an awareness issue. There's, there's been mental health issues in, in manufacturing and in the workplace for a long time, and they've kind of been put underneath a cover. And uh, now it's become, you know, when you get something happening around the globe all at once, um, then everybody is, you know, it, it's really put in our faces. And, uh, so that raising the awareness and, and using this as a way to really help people with the mental health issues that were underlying before and are you know, coming out a lot more now as well. Um, I've often said that people wake up with a different head on their shoulders each day. So even in, in regular situations, you never really know what's triggering somebody. But now um, everybody's on such a short of fuse because a lot of those challenges that, uh, that Andrew was mentioning, that um, really there is, you know, everything's being boiling to the surface. And what I've found that the best companies are doing is being able to talk about it. And uh, Andrew mentioned connection and communication. And I think those two are absolutely critical. The companies that have more transparency around being able to talk about these things and it not being seen as a weakness and being able to not sweep it under the covers, but really bring it out and, and have that listening and in-depth conversations. They're the ones that seem to be working best. And there's some, there's some great um, opportunities for leaders in that as well. Leaders across companies 
can be using this as a time to reapply best practices. But in order to do that, you need to be having these conversations about best practices. Um, so calling up other leaders and whether they're in the same industry or they're in a similar industry, it doesn't really matter. Um, having that chance to talk and listen to other leaders as well and then reapply, I think, is a, is a great opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you mentioned in the um, the psychological first aid, you talked about a, a lot of things that people can watch for to see if their coworkers um, are under any stress. Um, you know, it's it's like they're being quiet or they're not participating or they're raising their voices. Those are the keys to be watching for, are they? Absolutely. Um, they feel irritation, anger, and Sometimes they're overly nervous, anxious. Um, they have a lack of motivation. Obviously, some of these things are like COVID-19. I mean, feeling tired, overwhelmed, um, the, and trouble sleeping, obviously trouble concentrating. These are the things that um, is being brought out as mental health associated with COVID-19. So uh, it's, it's not really surprising that we're, we're having these uh, difficulties and um, we, we have concerns all the time of obviously uh, whether we might be um, catching the virus, um, what happens to the family, um, working with the different workload and uh, all of these things that uh, people are concerned about that they haven't done before or have only heard about. So just even connecting on Zoom or Teams or Collaborate uh, for many people is quite stressful, especially if it doesn't work first time. Mm -hmm. So um, especially if your job depends upon it and that uh, the boss is on the other end waiting for you to actually connect. So if your Wi-Fi isn't working at home or you have a problem uh, with having more than one device online at your home, then obviously all kinds of stresses begin to build in people and um, the person uh, becomes very excited, especially at home as well. So these are all the challenges that uh, uh, are, are out there. And as I see, say, if you go to the Center for Disease Control uh, and Prevention, uh, you can see on their website all of these things relating to COVID stress and identifying the issues and how you might be able to help people, including PFA. Mm-hmm. We're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you about some of the coming challenges leaders should be thinking about. Like when people start coming back to work in a post-COVID world, some people will have had COVID, etc. What are the things that we're going to have to be concerned about? Um, First of all, Janet, I would like to say that uh, post-COVID world is at least 18 months away because even if we get a vaccine, we have to have it widely in place. And as you rightfully say, those who come back, it is important that those people who have had it, uh, it is reported uh, so that you know who the people are who have had it. Uh, those who have tested um, and people who are asymptomatic. In other words, they uh, may not feel anything, but they can certainly pass uh, the virus along. So uh, these are the things that 
the workplace needs to know. Obviously, it's confidential, um, but certainly um, that situation post post COVID is is a challenge, and um, people need to know that and understand that. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what do you see for a post COVID world? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think. Um, a lot of it is unknown and it's that unknown that adds to additional stress um it's uh i i don't think we've seen half of the challenges that are going to be coming you know we we talked initially about uh the health challenges and then people started to talk about and recognize the um economic challenges and certainly the economic challenges on individuals and now there's got this whole idea around, you know, psychological challenges um, and the, the levels of stress and depression and anxiety. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, a little bit like Andrew said, I'm not sure there is a post-COVID world. And when, when we're working with companies um, and doing culture change with companies, typically we start to see the, the new culture really taking off after about 18 months. Now, by the time a virus comes, a vaccine comes in for the virus, that's, we will have been in COVID for a lot more than 18 months. And that's enough time to change cultures. And uh, that's what I see. I, I think the, the post-COVID world, if you like, once we, once we accept that COVID, we have a vaccine and we accept that it's just a normal part of life, I think things will have changed forever. And, um, and not only... Uh, in normal public life, but in manufacturing life and in business life, I think people's habits will have changed and people are going to be a lot more wary around who they hang around with, uh, how they spend their time, both at work and in social environments. Um, so I don't think we know half of what's, what's actually coming. I'm no psychologist, but if, if I see what I'm seeing with behaviors right now uh, continue for another, let's say, another 12 months, I think it's going to make significant long-term changes for people. One of the things that I actually had not even thought about is what do you do with the COVID waste in the work environment? Like presumably people are wearing gloves and they're wearing masks and sometimes they have to wear full on body suits and and things like that. Andrew, what are the risks with all of this stuff and how should businesses be getting rid of it and how are they getting rid of it? Well, I mean, basically, the uh, coronavirus can survive between two hours and nine days. So if it's on a surface, uh, so if it's on your gloves, on your suit, on your uh, protective suit or protective shoes or uh, in your mask, uh, this becomes a waste. Uh, Where is this waste going? As you rightfully say, Janet, uh, if it's collected on site, Um, some of the waste uh, will have had uh, flammable uh, 70% alcohol uh, um, sanitizer on it. So it is at that point uh, flammable waste. Um, Is there a possibility that there could be a fire? Yes, um, particularly in hot countries or where you have some um, utility area where there is a a boiler or something that could cause ignition and people just put the waste in an area that's convenient to them that's out of the way. Um, So obviously uh, waste uh, from um, clothing, uh, masks, gloves, etc, etc needs to be put in a controlled area. It needs to be locked. It needs to have signage. 
and it needs to meet the requirements of the country that you're in. The next stage is how do you dispose of it? So do you have somebody who is a licensed uh, disposer of waste? Um, or if it is clinical waste, do you have somebody who has the certificates and the capability to transport it safely? So if it's not done in the proper way, then it's entirely possible that this waste is going to somebody who is selling it on to somebody who will sort it. Um, many cases have been found where all the wa waste from a plant is being taken to somebody's shop. They are going through the waste in the shop, uh, sometimes with um, uh, migrant labor and uh, no masks. Um, and no hand washing facilities. They're sorting the masks out and they're getting them washed and uh, the coveralls and whatever, it, uh, whatever else there is, uh, is also being washed. Whether in fact that washing is having any effect upon the virus, um, don't know. So the, the challenge out there is what is your waste? Where is it going? How are you controlling it? And if it's flammable, are you getting rid of it uh, regularly um, in, in a pr um, proper, proper manner? And then, of course, um, who is taking it and how are they handling it? So you need to audit it, check uh, how it's being got rid of. So th those are the challenges of pers personal protective waste from COVID. Hmm. Kevin, have you seen... Um you know, the businesses that you're working with, are they doing this controlled waste disposal? Um, I have not seen that. It doesn't mean that they're not, but it's something that, um, that I'm becoming aware of as we go through this podcast as well. So mm -hmm. um, I certainly know that, again, in each of the different types of countries, um, there are different levels of regulation and there's certainly different le levels of behavior. Uh, as we work in quite a lot of developing countries, we certainly see many, many things are being sorted and, and reworked and reused in one way or another. And, and so I would imagine that the risks associated with that are very high. Um, I think as any business owner, if you think of the way the business owner is going to feel, it's like, oh my God, all, all of a sudden my normal waste is now being um, considered to be a special type of waste. And whenever you hear that, you're immediately going to think that there's a special type of cost associated with that. So yes, you have the environmental and the, the personal protective factors, um, you know, the, the public safety, public health factors, but you've also got this new huge cost factor as well. Um, because, you know, Andrew will be aware of this, getting rid of any kind of toxic or special waste is uh, many, many times more expensive than disposing of normal waste. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering about some key takeaways that uh, you might both leave us with. Andrew, what would you be your suggestions for business owners and business leaders at this point in time? My, my, my takeaways are really very simple. I definitely think that uh, psychological first aid uh, should be trained in each company uh, to deal with stressed and depressed personnel. Um, I think what we have learnt in the last six months about the pandemic and pandemic awareness uh, must be retained as it's possible that we will need it again, um, particularly if this virus mutates, which so far it hasn't. But we 
we learned about um, the virus, uh, the pandemic situation 16 years ago. And what is going on today is just an extension of what we learned 16 years ago. So I think that we need to put this in place, be prepared, um, and uh, we, we may um, continue to use it and develop it. So that, that's my, my basic message. What about for you, Kevin? Yeah, for me, I, I think um, as we're talking directly to the leaders, I, I, first of all, we don't know all the answers with this. And so the idea of being in a, a learning mindset, a growth mindset, I think is very important. And uh, don't feel like you do need to know all the answers. I think uh, it, it's really around um, listening to the employees and then having those conversations. And as we do that listening and, and conversing with them, I think the idea of, uh, or that it, it's necessary to be compassionate. Um, the, the level of stress that everybody is under at the moment is highly elevated and it comes at us in, in all different directions. And uh, so showing that level of compassion and erring on the side of caution when you're, when you're communicating with people, I think um, they're the three things that I would say. Mm -hmm. I guess um, use your compassion, keep an eye on your employees and, and the people at home and, you know, in your management team and help them when the help is necessary. And as Andrew, you did say, you know, we probably have another 18 months to go with this, which I think may shock some people. And this is not going to be a one-off. I mean, this is probably going to happen again. So whatever you put into place now is probably going to be used again. I yes. really appreciate, sorry, go ahead. Yes, so the, the last thing to talk about, obviously, is that the longer it goes on, the greater exposure one has to sanitizers. Mm -hmm. And there are many different sanitizers being used out there. Uh, there are some that have been used for a very long time, uh, such as 70% alcohol and hypochlorous uh, foggers, which have been um, being used but no previous testing has been done and some quaternary amine compounds are being used. Uh, so um, the exposure levels for many people uh, needs to be monitored. And if there are any cases of acute or chronic exposure found, then obviously we will have to take uh, steps to ensure that only approved sanitizers are used. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we will see as we continue with COVID-19. And I guess that leads us into, um, you know, the, your immune system and uh, all this hand sanitizer and whatever that we're using, is it impacting our immune system and making it weaker? And that is probably a whole other podcast, right? That's correct. Yeah. I really appreciate your expertise and insights. Um, this week, Andrew, you've brought some really important things to light for us. I really appreciate that. And to you, Kevin, as well, for your, your side from the, the leadership perspective and some of the challenges and things that they really have to face. Um, it's a tough time for everybody. So thank you very much for, for sharing your insights. Thank you. It's been insightful for me too. Thank you very much indeed, Janet. Thank you. Thank you, You're Kevin. Welcome.
Andrew Morris is a health and safety consultant. He's based in Bangkok, Thailand, and Kevin Snook is a leadership advisor to manufacturing CEOs. He is also based in Thailand and working globally. For more important information on how you can help move your manufacturing business forward and help your teams, one of the things you can check out is Kevin's book. It's called Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. That's our show this week. Please check out our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds that are on our podcast page, and you can subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm Janet Eastman. Thanks very much for listening to Make It Right.